All right, we're continuing on with our series enough, but we're taking a little turn. Uh, We're going to talk today about when God has had enough, because there's times in the scriptures that we read that God has just kind of reached his limit. We talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, talk about Noah and the way the world was. The world had become so sinful um, that the suffering and the pain and the hedonism and all that was going on. God said, enough. And there was times with his people when he was leading them through the wilderness that he got fed up with them. Um, And so God will reach a point where God says, enough. And we see that throughout Scripture. Um, As those that are going through the Bible in 120 days, um, as we learned about the exiles, right, that they had uh, mixed with other cultures and they'd just gotten to the point where they were sacrificing their own children. Um, Just the name, probably one of the worst, but it was just gotten so bad. He said, enough, okay? If you don't want to follow me, you don't want to live into my commands that I gave you so you would stay in right relationship with me. If that's what you want, that's fine. Take it. Here's the consequences of your choices. Often when I think about judgment, when we talk about judgment, especially in the Old Testament, but even for us individually, um, really you can say as you look at the, the scriptures and the Israelites that the judgment was handing them over to the consequences of their choices. God asked them, here's the commands that will keep you close to me. Here's the covenants that if you live into, we'll be in relationship with each other. Here's all that before you, but you get to choose. Because God created us for a love relationship. He wants us to choose him, to love him. And we can only do that, you've heard me say this before, if we have free will, if we have a choice. The problem is um, the thing that allows us to love, free will, is also at the core of our sin because we choose ourself over God. We choose to live our life selfishly over others. And so God God has been wrestling with us about that for um, since the garden. And sometimes he just says, enough. And really, that's what our scripture is about today. And really, it's the whole book of Malachi is, is kind of at that because it's at the end. And so before we look at that, understand that as we talk about the Israelites and God handing them over to the consequences of their choices, when they ended up in exile, those were the choices they made that took them there. And God said, okay, he's not going to force us. And that happens in the Old Testament with the people, but that happens individually too. If we persist in sin, if we persist in the world, if we persist in something, God will hand us over. I came loaded with a couple Bibles today. So so if you look in Romans, beginning in chapter 21, it says, this is Chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged glory for the immortal God, for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires. So what that's telling us, the process of how we end up far from God. God doesn't push us away. God doesn't send us into exile. But over time, if we persist in the world, if we persist in our sins, it's going to darken our mind. We're going to get kind of um, numb to its effects. And then over time, God will just hand us over. It's not, it's not what God did. It's what we did. If it goes on long enough, we will become numb to it, we'll become blind to it, and then we'll just live in it and say that's life. So this process of God handing us over is like a lot of all, most things in the Bible. It has a specific purpose or, or specific episodes we can point to. But it also speaks to us about how we better be careful that we don't become blind and numb to the things around us that are destroying us, that are bad for us, and we just become immune to them. So that can happen. But so what we ended up, how we end up in Malachi, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Um, it is at a time where they have come out of exile and, you know, it's one of those times where everything's okay, but God sees, you know, if you look at the Old Testament, it's this secular thing up and down where they are in relationship with God, they're living in covenant with God, being obedient to these commands, and then they slowly begin to uh, fade away. And it happens sometimes over hundreds of years, but they end up being changed by the culture instead of them changing culture. And so, and it doesn't happen, like I said, suddenly it happens over time. And Malachi's, God can see they're on that downward trend again. Because they're not, he doesn't talk anything about anything being super evil, but he has had enough. And it is, a, it's, he's, one thing he's saying is, <clears throat> it's enough because it's time for the next part of my plan. But he's talking to the people through Malachi, and he says, I've had enough of this. And so I'll begin to read in verse six. It says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm your father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, priest, who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how do we show contempt for your name? By offering defiled food at my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame and diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With, with offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you should not light useless fires at my altar. 
I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises and where, to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled. Its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. You sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured and lame and diseased animals and offer them as a sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations." This is the word of God for the people of God. So you hear, and, and if you read the whole book, it's just one thing after another. And you can hear that the Lord Almighty has had enough. Because he's been through a whole Old Testament at this point. He's seen their fickle unfaithfulness in their relationship. And he can see that it's starting again. And how can he see that it's starting again? Through the worship through the sacrifice. See, they haven't got way off the rails yet, but God can see it. He's telling them, you're bringing me your diseased and lame animals, the stuff you don't want anyway. What does that say how you feel about me? I heard a preacher say once, God does not need a perfect sheep. He can make a perfect sheep. What God is saying here is this tells me what you think of me and our relationship. That you bring me your worst. Because if you love somebody, and I think I've shared this before, if you love somebody, truly love somebody, what do you want to do? Give them your best. You know, every year, I know I've shared this, but every year, I put a budget on Christmas. My wife buys everybody else. She doesn't put a budget. She buys everybody else, and I buy her. That's kind of the deal. And my, usually in the last few years, it's been a tradition that my youngest daughter goes with me, and we shop for mom. And I say, I'm not spending over this. Every year, I spend over that. Because I get going, and I was like, oh, what about this? What about this? And I get so excited and I hold this up and my daughter goes, mm-mm, uh-uh, right? Because she knows. But I always end up buying more. I don't know if she thinks it's the best. I do. We have different tastes, but I'm trying. The point is, when you love somebody, you don't want to do the minimum. It comes from your heart. You want to give them the best. A what? The maximum, yes. Exactly. Well, Sam is listening. Right? You want to give them the maximum. And so if that's, that's just human nature, right? That's the nature of things. And so God is hurt because this is telling that God, this is what we feel about you. 
And God says, you're just going through the motions. Think about what God says here. You're just going through the motions. Stop. It doesn't mean anything. You're missing the whole point. Stop it. You're wasting your time and you're wasting my time. Oh, that somebody would just shut the temple doors. Now, there's a message in there. And when we talk about God's had enough of this, he's had enough of them going through the motions. What about us? You think there's some churches? I won't talk about us. This might be stepping on toes. I won't talk. But you think there's some churches, some congregations where the Lord's looking down at individuals and maybe whole churches, congregations going, you're just going through the motions. This doesn't really mean anything to you. You check the box that you went to church and maybe a Bible study, but you're not following me the rest of the time. I'm not on your heart. We're not in relationship. Just shut the church's doors. I mean, there's a message there for us. And the thing is, we're missing out. You know, God wants us to love him. And God desires our love and worship and adoration. But he doesn't need it. He wants it. And we're just going through the motions. And God says, enough. In in Malachi, he's telling them, I've had enough. And it's the last book. And and this is the end of this segment, God says. I've had enough. And he tells them later in in chapter 3 and verse 4, he tells about a time because they're questioning his justice. You know, they're just whining about everything. And God tells them in another section, he goes, oh, so this has become a burden to you? I always think about church and things of church in the congregation and Lord and Malachi tell them, oh, this is a burden. And you ever said, wake up Sunday morning. Oh, I got to go to church. Like it's a burden. I did. Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to say that. No, right? And they're questioning God's justice. They're saying, why does it look like evil people? They're back-talking God when he says you're just going through the motions and they're challenging him. Well, why does it look like evil people are prospering? Where's your justice? Where Where aren't you a God of justice? Where is it? And God's telling them, you're not doing your part. As Jim kind of referred to this, you know, we got to be question, be careful questioning God when we start going, where is your justice? Why aren't you doing anything? Because he might turn around and look down and say, what do you think I put you there for? So they begin to question God's justice and God later in the book says, My name will be great. And there will be a time where justice is doled out. But be careful because we might want everybody else to get what they deserve, but I don't want to get what I deserve. 
And so God says through Malachi in verse three or four or chapter three or four, he says, who can stand on the day of my judgment? No one can stand. It will be like a burning fire. And he, he has a lot of hyperbole around it. And he goes, no one can stand when I've ultimately had enough of sin, of destruction, of violence and hurt and all that you do to one another, of greed. No one is going to pass that judgment. But God, when he has enough, he's going to hand people over to the, the consequences of their choices. He's going to allow judgment on injustice and sin. And no one can stand. But when God has enough, he always provides a way. Because he says, before that great and awful day of my judgment, before the judgment, like the judgment came and passed over um, uh, the the houses of the Israelites in the Passover in Egypt. He says, so when I've sent that judgment on to the world, just like that judgment of the firstborn in the, in the Exodus story, he goes, before that, I'm going to send a messenger and he's going to be a refiner's fire. He is going to refine you. In other words, he, he is predicting the, the second coming, the day of judgment, and he's predicting the first coming where Jesus comes and all those that have Jesus in their heart, all those that are marked with the blood of the lamb, Jesus, in God's final judgment of the world, of sin, of creation, if you are marked with the blood of Jesus, marked with the blood of the lamb, as in the Exodus story, God's judgment will pass over. That is the only way you can stand. And so even when God has enough, his last words are grace and mercy, and he provides a way. There's this image that I might have shared a long time ago, but, uh, you know, when you do a back burn, the way I heard it, they were using an illustration of back in the prairie days of Kansas and farmers, they'd see a, a brush fire, a prairie fire coming towards them, and so they would burn all the property around them. You know, a controlled burn. Why, why is that? Because when the prairie fire reached them, it would not burn what has already been burnt. In the same way with when we talk about Passover and the first and the second coming, when God's judgment comes on the earth, it will not um, pass through that that already has been judged. And if we are in Christ, we have been judged on the cross. He has taken our Sin, our shame, our hurt, our burdens. And God's judgment has already been there. And we have already been forgiven. And so in that day, that great and awful day as it describes, whenever God's judgment comes, however that looks, God's judgment will pass over. So even when God has enough, 
He still provides. It always ends. That's the thing with God. It always ends in grace and mercy. Now, we were talking in our Bible study on Tuesday, and I reminded them, and some of you, I'm sure you heard this, but it's just great to be reminded that the gospel is nothing but one big but. Just one big but. You are a sinner. We don't like to hear that. You are a sinner, but Christ died for you, right? You can't keep the law good enough. You can't live into the covenant well enough uh, to be in a relationship with a pure and holy God. You can't do it, but we don't have to because it's not about my faithfulness or my righteousness. It's about Christ's faithfulness and Christ's righteousness. And we could just go on and on. It's just more buts, more buts. And even though we deserve judgment and punishment and condemnation, and that's what should happen, and I deserve that, but Christ has already taken that for me. The gospel is one big but. And even when God has had enough, He still loves us and provides a way if we choose to be in relationship with him. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you that, Lord, you always provide a way out of your great love for us. So, Lord, help us to love you. Help us not to go through the motions not just so we honor you and worship you, but that we might receive the blessings that you have for us when we faithfully follow you and not just have our Christian lives and our church lives as something that we just go through the motions. So Lord, let us honor you and worship you. Let us love you like you love us. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.